feel a little bit like the uh, preacher who stood up before his congregation one Sunday morning and he said, before I begin to preach, I want to say something. <laughs> a couple things I want to say. First off, this is not a pulpit. <laughs> Whatever happened to those big wooden pulpits? <laughs>
So our, our, uh, the sermon, uh, or the, the uh, series that we're in right now is Red Letter Jesus. When Tim announced the series, I was very excited because Red Letter Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. Christ didn't come to the, to the earth just to die. Don't get me wrong. That is very, very important. But he also came to live. He came to announce and enact the kingdom of God. And, uh, and as he lived and as he taught, we learned more about God than anybody had ever known about God before. All those, you know, Moses who had face to face with God, they knew nothing about God compared to what we know today. Uh, and, and God, through Jesus, came and lived uh, among us. As uh, that verse says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt, and dwelt among us. I like the way that uh, Peterson, um, almost said Oscar Peterson. I like the way Oscar Peterson played the piano. <laughs> I, I like the way Eugene Peterson put it in the message. He said, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved right into the neighborhood. That's what he did. He rubbed shoulders with us. He moved right into the neighborhood. You know that saying, there goes the neighborhood? Well, <laughs> there went the neighborhood when, uh, when Christ moved in. I want to uh, talk about, this morning I'm going to entitle this, um, these words of Christ, but I tell you. But I tell you. That word but, that little three-letter conjunction, tells us something new is going on here. But, and uh, we've been in this already. Tim has already covered four of these six antitheses, is the theological term, these, these six situations in, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, where Christ says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. So we've got going from one uh, situation to another. Tim already covered murder, adultery, divorce, and oaths. Today, we're going to look at uh, eye for an eye and love for your neighbors. Let's think for a moment before we get into that about moving from one to the other. The, the old one, uh, you've heard it said, refers to the Old Testament. And what I tell you refers to what we learn in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, somebody counted up all the laws that were in the Old Testament, 613 of them. I didn't double check this. You can do that, you can do that this week if you want. 613 laws in the Old Testament. The New Testament really just has two laws. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, Love your neighbor as yourself. Law number one covers the first four of the Ten Commandments about dealing with our relationship with God. Number two covers the last six commandments and dealing with, with people around us. You've heard, that, uh, you've heard that saying, never discuss religion or politics. Well, we're going to break that rule this morning because rule number one, love the Lord your God, that is true religion, not the extraneous 
man-made stuff, but our true religion is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And our politics is love your neighbor as yourself. So if somebody asks you what's your religion and politics, you can tell them those two things. It seems like the Beatles were right. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Now, that's not the love that they're talking about. We're going to talk about agape love, and they, they weren't talking about agape love, but I'm going to borrow from them anyway. We're not talking about a, a love that gives some chocolates and some flowers and says, do you want to be my valentine? We're talking about agape love. And if you don't remember or appreciate anything else that I have to say to you this week or next week, I want you to understand about agape love. Because it is very important, it's essential in understanding and implementing who we are as Christians, agape love. As teachers used to tell us, this is going to be on the test. <laughs> There's going to be a test next week, and I'm going to be asking you about the qualities of agape love to see how well you retain. So let's look at the uh, at the three points that I want to share with you about agape love. The first one is it's self-sacrificing. It gives up what's best for us. Number two, it's other-oriented. It focuses on what the needs of the other person are. And number three, it's unconditional. It's self-sacrificing. You know that uh, passage in Philippians 2 where it talks about how Jesus gave up the, the, the fact that he was in nature God and he became a human and gave, him up, uh, gave himself up for death, even death on the cross. That was self-sacrificing. It's other-oriented. It's uh, unconditional. Uh, it, it loves the other person even when we know we're not going to get it back and the other person isn't going to reciprocate. That's the kind of love that, uh, that God had for us, has for us. And it's the, it's the love, in turn, that we are called to have uh, with each other. Now, you might say, that's just that's too hard. That's too difficult. But as uh, Gina mentioned in our in, in her opening, we're living in the Spirit. We don't have to do it on our own. We have the Spirit to help us. And uh, and Tim and his uh, his little mini service here with the kids. Would you call it superhuman? Yeah, superhuman. God's power. Yeah, God's power. Superhuman. So we don't have to depend on ourselves. John 14 says, um, I will give you, this is Christ talking, I will give you the Holy Spirit to help you and be with you forever. Well, how does it work? Having uh, love govern our lives, instead of the 613 laws, to have the two laws that are, that are governed by love, how does that work? In our lives. I want to give you an illustration. Um, in between Christmas and New Year's, we had a, a visit from uh, my son and his wife and her little granddaughter. 
And uh, we're driving down Brackley Point Road there toward the airport. And you know, out in the middle of nowhere there, all of a sudden they dropped the speed limit yeah. down to 70. <laughs> and then there's that flashing the sign that says, yeah. hey, idiot, <laughs> speed limit here's 70. You're doing 71 or 72. <laughs> and uh, so we're going along there. There was some snow on the road that morning. And uh, Lori, in a, a very helpful, loving way, <laughs> said, you know, after we pick up Emma, you, I don't want you to be driving like a crazy madman on these, on these slippery roads. And I was so glad she said that because I fully intended to, to do just that. No, but, so here's, but her point was a good one. So here's what was happening. After I had people that I loved in the car, my speed would not be governed by a signpost or a flashing sign. It would be governed by love. It would be governed by love for the people that I had in the car with me and for their safety. And that's how agape works. Uh, agape love works in our lives. We're governed not by keeping rules and laws. We're governed by love, the love that we have for each other. Imagine if the world, everyone in the world had agape love. We wouldn't need any laws at all. And everyone would be concerned about uh, what the other person is. And what we've described there, that's the kingdom of God. As a springboard for our, uh, for our meditation this morning, I want to read you a story. It's tough. It's a true story. And uh, it was told to Philip Yancey. If you have read many Christian books at all, you'll, you'll know, I see some of you nodding, you'll know the name Philip Yancey. He's written a lot of Christian books. And this, this story was, was told to Philip Yancey, and it's from a conversation he had with a veteran from World War II. Here's the story. Across from the dinner table from Philip Yancey sat a veteran who had fought in the Battle of the Bulge. The battle had been so chaotic, the veteran told Yancey, that taking prisoners had been impossible. Instead, his unit had been sent out each morning to kill wounded German prisoners. On one of these search and kill mornings, Yancey's dinner companion had found a German soldier sitting with his back against a tree, not wounded, but too exhausted to move. Yancey's friend raised his gun to shoot. Wait a minute, said the German soldier in perfect English. Give me a moment to pray. Are you a Christian, asked Yancey's friend. Yes, said the German. So Yancey's friend, also a Christian, sat beside the German. They read their Bibles together. They prayed. They showed each other their family pictures, and they prayed for each other's families. Then what, asked Yancey. Then I stood up, said Yancey's friend, and I said, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'll see you in heaven. And then he drew his gun and showed I think that story will raise some questions in our minds. <laughs> um, it'll, it'll raise uh, 
this question for sure. I think this one will probably come to mind first. And that is, can we have agape love for someone and shoot them? Or, number two, in times of war, can we put aside what seems to be the clear teaching of Christ and take someone's life? You may even question this. What's actually worse? To kill a Christian or a non-Christian? And uh, it's not on our, our list here, but there's another question I thought of earlier this week. You might question, could a Nazi, could a Nazi soldier serving in Hitler's army actually be a Christian? These are some questions that come to mind. If you answer no to the first question, we can't, you're probably what we would call a pacifist. If you answer yes to the second question, you would probably be in the group that we call, uh, there's this term that we're going to get into a lot more next week, but it's called the just war theory. And uh, basically it says that in times of war, um, you know, we, we, can, we can take other people's lives. So those are the two, the two uh, camps that we're, we're talking about. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, and uh, verses 38 to 42 is the section entitled, Eye for an Eye. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they heard that said, Actually, there's three occasions in the Old Testament, one in Exodus, one in Leviticus, one in Deuteronomy, that talks about that concept of eye for an eye. But Christ says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone <coughs> wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them two miles. Give to one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. An eye for an eye is a legal precedent that lives on to today. Uh, the the uh, legal term, the legal Latin term, is lex talionis. Anybody, anybody take Latin in school? Hey, all right. Another one back here. All right. I failed. Oh. Lex talionis means the law of retaliation. And it's a concept that we still um, uh, use in, in, legal, in a legal sense today. Um, it's, it was a limiting thing. It wasn't something says, you know, uh, the other way. It was, if someone takes out your eye, you can't go and kill his whole family. Was a, it was a limitation that the law put on people saying you can't do any more than what's been already been done to you. And maybe because it's used in legal circles, people today, I think, assume that this is what the Bible teaches us. You know, eye for an eye. The Bible says an eye for an eye. Um, I won't mention a name, but a few years ago there was somebody running for office and uh, he claimed that the Bible was his favorite book and so someone asked him, what's your favorite Bible verse? 
and after humming and hawing around a little bit, he said, oh, you know that one about the eye for an eye? And uh, he didn't know about that word, but. And the interesting part to me was, even the media covering that event, some of them picked up on it, a lot of them didn't. They just referred to that verse in the Old Testament. So people today, um, that's, that's the concept they live by. Is I, need, I need to get back what, what was done to me. But Jesus in, in this section then says, no, we need, to, uh, we need to go beyond that. And then gives four different scenarios uh, where, where he wants us to go beyond. The first one is if someone slaps you and then he says the right cheek. Any idea why he said the right cheek? <laughs> this is my right cheek. Lori is right-handed. Actually, there was more going on, but just most people are right-handed. There was a thing about the left hand, but we won't get into that this morning. So as a right-handed person slapping me on my right cheek, go ahead. God is my witness, so we're all so that's her slapping me on my right cheek. Now, if I turn to her on the other cheek, go ahead. Don't wind up. <laughs> okay. So the left one again. The, see? So you see the difference? This one here is a backhanded slap. Okay. It's a backhanded slap. It's an in, it's it's an insult. All right. And uh, and it's. It's usually from a superior person to an inferior person. But Christ says, turn the other cheek. Because when you turn the other cheek, now it's not superior to inferior, it's as equals. The second example, someone wants to sue you for your coat, then your shirt as well. Uh, you, could, you could sue people for, for uh, pieces of clothing. And uh, Lori says I shouldn't share this to you, but with you, but I'm going to mention it. Anyway. People, <laughs> people then didn't wear underwear. <laughs> there were two levels of clothing. There was the the inner shirt thing, the long shirt thing that you had, and you had an outer cloak. So if you lost both of them, you were naked. <laughs> the interesting thing about the culture at that time, though, is it's not the person who was naked that was shamed. It was the person looking at the, at the naked person who was shamed. If you think back to Noah, when Noah got drunk in the tent and the sun came in and saw him naked, our, our mentality would say, well, shame on Noah for getting drunk and being naked in his tent. But the shame actually came on his son, who saw him, who was naked. Um, if someone compels you to go for a mile, go for another mile. So the, we were in an occupied situation here. The uh, Jerusalem and, and, and surrounding area was occupied by the Roman army. And the, 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 the law for Roman soldiers was they could ask any civilian to carry their gear for one mile. 
but only one mile. After the one mile, you had to had to uh, get somebody else to chip it. So you know, you're walking down the road. You're getting, oh, here comes a Roman soldier. Let me sweep down the side, <laughs> or you don't make eye <laughs> don't make eye contact because he could he could force you to do that. But even though Christ is saying here, even though we have the hated Romans uh, occupying us, I want you to go the extra mile with him and say, you know what? After the first mile, I'll, I'll, I'll take it another mile. Imagine the conversation that might develop between the between the soldier and the person doing the carrying in that second mile. And then finally, give to someone who asks, and uh, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He's getting at just lending to people that, that you know you're going to get your money back. If someone's in need, wants money, you should give to them as well. Ooh, it's in the pocketbook. I'm starting to preach to myself here. Um, so those are the, uh, that's, that's the eye for an eye. And the next one is Matthew 5, 43 to 48, love for your enemies. Christ says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor was in the Old Testament. Actually, hate your enemy was not anywhere in the Old Testament. That was just something that, that they had added on to themselves. But I tell you, Christ says, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what, re what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. So again, as in all of these six antitheses, Christ is asking us to move from one level up to, uh, up to another level. He's asking us in this particular case here to move from loving people that love us to the agape love that we were talking about earlier that loves people that don't love us back. Um, there's many, many other examples in, in the New Testament. Let's just consider a, a few more of them. First is the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I won't take time to read all this. It's, it's very familiar to you. Um, when someone asked Christ, who is my neighbor? When he said, love your neighbor as yourself, and asked, who is your neighbor? He gives this parable about the Good Samaritan. And uh, like I say, I'm sure, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Here's my question for you this morning. If Christ were here today in North America giving this parable, who would the Samaritan be? Who is that hated group here today that Christ might have used? Um, you know, back in the... I see a few of you here that were around in the 60s and can remember them. <laughs> Back in the 60s, it was the Russians. You know, we hated all oh, the Russians, but they were the enemy. They were, they were going to take us over, and uh, it was the Russians. Today, it's not 
I don't think it's the Russians. I think it's probably the Muslims, right? Probably the Muslims. And can you imagine this? Can you imagine this parable uh, in that light instead of instead of uh, Samaritans? Um, just in re- you know, just as a follow-up to that, I have to mention this. It was in 2015. There was a, a shooting in San Bernardino, where a Muslim went in and, and shot. Uh, there were 14 dead, 22 injured. After that happened, there was a graduation ceremony at a Christian university in, in the U.S. And uh, at the graduation ceremony, the president of the university said this, and I quote. If more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end the Muslims before they walked in and killed them. Do you really think that's what Jesus had in mind when he gave this parable about a good Samaritan? I didn't read any quote from him when that man in Las Vegas, who was not a Muslim, shot 58 people dead and wounded 413. Um, I'll also refer you to the golden rule and the platinum, what have some called the platinum rule. The golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And the platinum rule, some have said, or some have called it, says, a new commandment, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. This is the marker for, for Christians. Who's a disciple, who isn't? It's not about what denomination we belong to, how we're dressed, if we're baptized even, although I'm not saying we should be baptized. Um, none of those, those extraneous things. The marker is, do we have love one for another? On to Romans 12. So we're getting now out of the teachings of Christ, and I could give lots more examples from the teaching of Christ, but let's just see what, what Paul had to say. <clears throat> And uh, there's, a, there's a passage that we're going to get to in a minute here. But before we get to that, he sets this, this chapter up in verses 1 and 2 um, by, by saying this. Uh, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Conform versus transform. Right? Becoming like versus becoming something different. There was a, a translation of the Bible that some of you may remember called J.B. Phillips. Anybody remember J.B. Phillips? <laughs> J.B. Phillips, I couldn't tell you one other verse uh, from J.B. Phillips other than, than that uh, that verse number two that says, do not conform. J.B. Phillips put it this way. He said, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not let the world squeeze you.
squeeze you into its mold. Think for a moment about a child uh, with a piece of plasticine and, and one of those little plastic molds making something. And you take the plasticine and you, you squeeze it into the mold. And, and as you squeeze the plasticine into the mold, see what happens? Some of the stuff around the edge gets cut off and drops off, right? But then you keep pushing and pushing and forming and forming and you pop it back over and the plasticine comes out looking exactly like the world did. So then moving down in, in Romans chapter 12 then to verse 14. I won't read it all the way through here. But it's just point after point after point that, um, that Paul is, is making here in this, in this passage. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 18, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Leave revenge up to God. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That part about heaping coals on, on your head, I have absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> and I've spent some time trying to... There are some explanations, but none of them really make any sense to me. Uh, it's it's got to be a cultural thing from that time. But I think what we can take from that is you're turning back onto them and making them feel shame for, for what they're doing. And then finally, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. I'm going to ask you to think back to that German soldier sitting against the, uh, sitting against the tree. Um, Next week, we're going to look at, first of all, next week there's going to be a test. It's going to be a test on those three aspects of agape love. Self-sacrificing, SS, self-sacrificing. Point two, OO, other-oriented. Point three, unconditional. That's going to be the test next week. So I will be studying today. And then we're going to look at the history of pacifism and the just war theory in the church. I'm going to add, there's going to be a surprise there. I'm going to tell you the history. I think most of you are going to be surprised. I'm not going to tell you now. In order to find out the surprise, you've got to come into it. Uh, we're going to talk uh, about the just war theory a little bit more in depth and what my problem with it is. We're going to look at 
the scripture that supports that or what people that agree with that, what they, what they might suggest. There's not a lot of it. Not nearly as many as what we looked at this morning, I don't think. But anyway, that's my opinion. And then we're going to do uh, deal with a few of those but what about issues. And, uh, and we're going to talk through those as well. In closing, I want to leave you with a couple questions. The first one is, is there anything more that Jesus could have said about enemy love that he didn't already say? It seems to me it's pretty clear. There's some stuff that I wrestle with. Uh, because it's not real clear, there might not be a lot of scriptural base for it, etc. I think this is crystal clear. Number two, I want you to imagine. I've got a Beatles thing going on here today. <laughs> imagine. Can you imagine this? I know we feel we can't change everybody in the whole world. But just imagine for a moment that all the Christians in the world said, we won't kill each other. That's not quite as hard to imagine. It might still be difficult to imagine. But what if all the Christians worldwide said, you know what? We're not going to kill each other. When we have a problem, we're going to sit down and work it out. But we're not going to kill each other. Imagine the impact that that would have on the world, what it would have had. There would have been no World War, uh, world, war uh, world War II. On the Allied side, who'd you have? United Kingdom, predominantly Christian. Canada, United States, France, all, I don't use the word, Christian nations, because there's no such thing as a Christian nation. Uh, but all nations where predominantly they were Christian people. And how about the other side? Germany? Germany in the 1930s was maybe one of the most, well, i got to say it, Christian nations. One of the nations where, I mean, they had a, a very, very strong Christian presence in Germany in the 1930s. Italy, predominantly Roman Catholic, Christian. The only major combatant in World War II that wasn't populated with Christians was Japan. So, you know, you can, and you can apply that to World War I as well. So just imagine the world as a starting point and, uh, and think about that this week. Next week, there's going to be a test next week. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into, uh, it'll be a little bit less scripture, a little more teaching, okay, about history and so on. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who gave up his divinity and came down to earth and became one of us. It showed us 
He showed us what God was really like. He showed us agape love. And uh, as we go forth this morning, would you help us with your spirit? As Gina said in her opening this morning, we, have, we, live, we live a life in the spirit and we ask your spirit to help us as we use this as the model for our lives. Help us to practice agape love, first of all, with those who are close to us, our family members, our friends, and then spread out to our community, people that we work with, people that we go to school with, and then move out a little bit farther and farther and farther until your whole, until our whole world is enwrapped in agape love. We look forward to that next, to that coming age where your love, your agape love will reign supreme. We won't need rules or laws or policemen or armies or anything else. We'll all be concerned with love for each other. Help us to live in anticipation of that day, but at the same time, to embody the reign of Christ here and now.